This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to Episode 89. Getting divorced with a kid can be one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It's like death without a body. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Im. And I'm Christina Im. Okay, that sounded like a quote. Yes, <laughs> okay, it was. It's not us, no. Yeah, <laughs> no. So uh, that quote is actually from the Netflix drama Marriage Story, mm-hmm. the one that uh, won, I guess, a couple Academy Awards. I know one for Supporting Actress and I think some other ones. They but... were nominated for a bunch as well. Oh, my yeah. goodness, yes. And so we've heard a ton about this movie and really felt like we needed to watch it because we are in the marriage and parenting sphere and if it's something that the culture is saying and screaming and this is a narrative that people are listening to we definitely wanted to hear what people had to say yeah and plus i'm a star wars fan so when kylo ren is <laughs> one of very the main non-kylo actors, ren no, role though non, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so if you haven't watched this movie, we will be giving a couple spoilers. Uh, there's nothing really in the movie where it takes a crazy turn and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't see where this was coming from, well, like The Sixth Sense or something, right? Yeah, it's not like a movie like that. I mean, even the description in and of itself, they get a divorce. So, so <laughs> you mean, know yes, the ending I mean, of the story. Yes. Right. No, the premise of the story is that a husband and wife, so Charlie and Nicole, who have one son, Henry, they are... Uh, the whole movie is about basically the falling apart of their marriage and also the divorce journey and how it affects their own selves and as a couple and as parents and um, sort of the collateral damage that happens. Truthfully, I mean, we've heard a lot about dif- different divorce stories. This one was pretty amicable and we enjoyed how the director really showed all sides of the story. You don't finish the movie and feel like one side was really the right side and you know the other spouse was completely wrong there were definitely both parts where you felt like yeah they had a lot of issues yeah there is a lot of intense intense and incredible acting in and through it and don't worry if you haven't watched it you don't need to stop listening and because we're using this as a jumping off point to talk about six relationship lessons that we can learn from the movie it is something honestly there are a couple sketchy ske- scenes, which it's really hard to get away from these days, especially right. if it's a Netflix So don't watch it with movie. your kids. No. Definitely, <laughs> Definitely not. not. Uh, plus, I mean, there's some swearing and there's some nudity in as well. But most of all, I think it's not a story that you want your kids to watch because they don't have the ability to interpret what's going on. I remember even being scared. I think I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old and my parents were fighting. They were mm. just fighting and they always said they wouldn't get divorced. But still deep inside of me, I was afraid that they would get divorced and so i think exposing our kids to this narrative and this storyline uh they might interpret as oh my goodness my parents are watching this or they had a similar fight to this couple they're going to end in divorce i'm going to have to move across the country so on and so forth so it's not something that we want to expose our kids to Mm -hmm. it is interesting though when you place yourself in your kids shoes i mean when we were kids 
their divorce did happen, right? It, it did happen. But when I think about the number of families in our children's schools and in their classmates, yeah, all of our kids, they all have friends and there are people in all their classrooms who have one parent or... Or a part of a blended family. Precisely. Things like that. Yeah, it's interesting how even before we get into these six lessons, how the director was divorced or going through a divorce. Uh, I, I believe, yes, he was going through a divorce and also that he is um, a product of divorce. He, you know, his parents split up when he was younger. And yeah. then Scarlett, and the actress, Scarlett, yeah, yeah, she was, she was also, going through a divorce at mm-hmm. the time that the director approached them. So they were definitely speaking through experience. So having said all that, what is the first lesson, the first relationship lesson that we can learn from this movie, The Marriage Story? I think the overarching lesson and the one that really drives home is the fact that marriage is hard and divorce is harder. Mm, Yeah. You, after watching the movie, you pulled uh, whether the marriage or not could be saved on Facebook, right? Yes. (laughs) Yep. To our in-between show Facebook family. So if you are not following us there, definitely look us up. Um, It was interesting because there was a whole gamut of different answers, but one friend mentioned that it was such a personal decision. So they really couldn't say because it was really just between, you know, the guy and the girl. And while divorce may seem like it's one person or each spouse's decision, which, yes, there's that. However... Not really. Mm. And I think the movie did a really, really good job of depicting that because there was a lot of what we call collateral damage. So there was the husband and the wife. They were trying to figure out, you know, what they should do, where they should live, so on and so forth. And then they had their son, Henry, who was involved in that. But there was also this one scene where Nicole, she was telling her sister to serve the divorce papers to her going to be ex-husband. And they were practicing that and then the Nicole was telling her mom like you know you can't be friends with him anymore like you can't really email him you can't really you know do things and and act all nice and all of that because we're divorcing and the mom was like but I really like him. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the ex-husband comes into the house and the mom gives him such a huge hug and they're laughing and they're talking about their, you know, even their inside stories. And (laughs) the daughter's like standing there like super awkward, like, oh my goodness, what is happening? Yeah. And then fast forward all the way through the movie, even all the way to the end and you see the brokenness that's resulted. And even some points where the husband and wife are looking at each other And you could tell the pain and the hardship that they experienced throughout the entire divorce. Yes, even the fact where the physical pain they were coming in. I remember they were really fighting and uh, Charlie falls to the ground just weeping and convulsing Mm -hmm. because he's so upset and he's so hurt and yelling at his ex-wife who he really still, I think he really still loves Mm -hmm. in some ways. They just are not able to make it work at that time. Yeah, and even the financial repercussions of the divorce and right. of how much it cost and it was so interesting because at the beginning they were like oh well we're not going to use lawyers and we're just we're just going to split things or nicole can have all of this and you know it was it was very 
it seemed like they were on the same page. Mm-hmm. It was very amicable in that sense. But then as they began going through this, the and, yeah, and what then it means. family members were like, oh, you should use Allure. You should do this. Her friend said this. And, or you have uh, to, you live in yeah, New York exactly. and she lives in LA and the, your son is in LA. So you have to rent an apartment in LA to look like you actually care about your son mm-hmm. and you want to be involved with him. And that, you know, he's like, but we're a New York family. So what am I supposed to do when he's working? And then I even remember there was one scene where uh, Nicole, Cole talks about how her mom took out a second mortgage on the house to be able to pay for these lawyers. Yeah, and that's exactly why marriage is hard, but divorce is harder. This reminds me of last week, Christina, I was at the gym and uh, the girl on the machine next to me had this tattoo and it it, it was on her forearm and it said, live backwards. And when I saw that tattoo, it immediately reminded me of the marriage story. And Mm. I was like, I wonder what would have happened if Charlie and Nicole, or maybe you and your spouse, or maybe it's a friend in a recent divorce that they had gone through, if they were able to just kind of fast forward into that place and be like, Mm -hmm. hey, everything is said and done. The divorce is now finished. Would you still do it? Right. Having gone through all of that, if you're able to fast forward and do all that. And I don't really know if Charlie and Nicole would have gone through it if they lived backwards in that moment. Yeah, that's a really good point. One of the last scenes that Nicole is bending down and tying Charlie's shoelaces because she doesn't want him to trip. You don't do that to someone that you hate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't even do that to someone who you you know, don't really feel comfortable around. You wouldn't do that to a stranger. You do that to someone you care for. Yeah. So if marriage is hard and divorce is harder is the first relationship lesson from the marriage story. The second one is this, that you need to listen even more than you talk. At first, I wanted to say keep talking because in the movie, it was very apparent that at some point the couple stopped talking. In the opening scenes, they're actually reading off letters that they wrote to each other saying what they love about each other. And uh, then you can see them in a counseling room. And at first, I thought they're like, oh, I knew they it's a divorce story. So I thought they were in marriage counseling. Well, it actually turns out that they were in uh separation mediation and so the guy was telling them to read out these letters because at the end you want to make sure that you still remember that this person is someone that you loved and had a story with and that you want to respect them well she couldn't read the letter she didn't want to read all of the things that she loved about Charlie. And I was like screaming in my head. I'm like, just read it. He needs to hear how you feel. But then looking back and thinking, well, has she tried before or has he tried before? And it just didn't work. And that's why it's so important that listening is that relationship lesson. And it's something that we actively cultivate in our relationship. Now, you might think, okay, but someone needs to keep talking in order for someone to be listening. But just imagine if both of you, both you and your spouse took that posture of listening and say, hey, before I talk, I am going to listen. I love what it says in the Bible to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry and abounding in love. love. But Mm -hmm. it's just interesting how the first phrase is being quick to listen. I think that story really hit home to me because for a while, I think I can't remember how many years, but for a few years, 
after, you know, just having kids and being home and not really knowing who I was and my calling and something beyond just the four walls of my home, I would get really frustrated and I would think I would be communicating with you and you wouldn't be hearing me or I would interpret you wouldn't be hearing me and I would just get frustrated. And do you remember what I would say to you? Well, you would yell (laughs) and you'd be like, do I have to get angry and yell at you for you to hear me? Hmm. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, this reminds me of the time my counselor and and if you've been listening since episode one, you'll probably remember the story. But my counselor yelled at me and she was like, I don't care what you think. I'm asking you what you feel. (laughs) And I was like, oh, there's a difference. My Enneagram three. <laughs> there is a big difference. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so Dr. John Gottman, he has a word to describe this, doesn't he? Yes, he calls it bids. We've talked about Dr. John Gottman in previous episodes. He's basically the guy who created the Love Lab and was able to study thousands and thousands of couples to determine what makes a marriage work. He calls it what's the magic? What's the magic in the marriage that makes it work? And what are the things? things that can even predict divorce. So one of the things that he talks about is called bids. And bids are the fundamental unit of emotional communication. They, um, the bids can be small or big. They can be verbal or nonverbal. They're pretty much requests to connect with the other person. And it might take the form of a question or physical contact or an expression. They can be, you know, ranging from something that's really funny, telling a joke to something serious to even flirting or a sexual expression. Okay. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense then. So let's talk about recent bids or even bids in our relationship that we would common extend to one another. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go first? Right. So as uh, a lot of you know that um, we were in two car accidents and part of the repercussions of that is just having a lot of headaches for me as I've had a concussion and going through like that. So there's been times where I am just so tired and so drained and just have a headache. So um, I hate doing this because I don't want to spend money on you know buying food and stuff, but if I am not able to cook, I have texted Daniel a couple times and just been like, baby, I'm so tired. I just have a really big headache. Um, I don't know if I can cook dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. So when you text that, it's not like you text this massive paragraph to say, so I have a headache. I'm too tired to make dinner tonight. So can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? I mean, you don't you don't tend to do that. It mm-hmm. really is just that brief. I have a headache and I'm too tired to make a dinner tonight. So that's the bid, right? Yes, that's my bid. So in a sense, when you text that, it's not like you're texting this massive paragraph. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a headache. I'm too tired to make dinner. So do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Or what are all your options? Choose one day. Daniel, okay, and then we're going to be good. You don't do that. You just kind of send that one text, that one sentence. Right. That's, that's my the, one bit. To yeah, you. that's the bit. Okay. So in that moment, when I read that, there are a few things, there are a few ways that I can respond, right? The first one is, let's say I've had a really busy day and I haven't been able to check my phone and I'm on my way to my car and I see the text message and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't know if I... I, I, can't, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to talk to her at home. And I just respond like that. I ignore it. I, I don't. I miss the bid, right? I don't realize it's a bid. And I just come home empty-handed. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki. 
co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. How do you think I'd respond? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, do you get the bid? <laughs> no, you don't exactly. do that. No. No, no, definitely not. Okay, so that's the what first What do we one. do now? <laughs> yes. So that's the first one. The an- Another way really that I could respond is I can acknowledge it. I can see that text and I can stop what I'm doing. I can call Christina and I'd be like, man, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way. What can I do? Can I pick up dinner? What 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 do you want to eat? Why don't you just go sleep and I'll figure it out. And really, I guess there's one more way that I can respond instead of ignoring or turning towards you. I can really turn against you. I can reject that bid and maybe in an argumentative or a passive aggressive type of way. And I can text back, oh, well, I guess if you just take some Advil and you're probably going to be okay. And maybe you can just whip up something after you take a quick nap. Yeah. Like, I don't really care what you make. Just make something. (laughs) Exactly. So do you see how there are really three responses to those bids? So there's the turning towards, so you're acknowledging the bid. There's the turning away, you you ignored it or you missed it. And then there's the turning against, which is rejecting the bid. So that rejecting the way that I wanted to communicate with you or have a connection with you um, being maybe argumentative or, or belittling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess there are bids that I would send out to you, Christina. I preach at the church or I give a talk and you're with me, I'll often turn to you maybe on the drive home or at some point afterwards. And I'm like, hey, what did you think about my talk? So that's your bid, yeah, right? Yeah, you're yeah. wanting to hear back feedback. You're wanting to hear what I think and uh, maybe even ways that you I can you can improve things, mm-hmm. different ways like that. So uh, one of the ways that I can turn to you right? So I can acknowledge your bid is give you positive feedback. So baby, it was incredible. I really loved the three points that you made. Um, You were so engaging. Mm. I was just laughing hysterically, so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. which you really enjoyed those kind of things, right? Those those kind of um, reactions. So another way is I can, like we're talking about, I can turn away so I can ignore it. I can say, "Mm, yeah, it was good. Um, I need to run upstairs to do laundry. Can you, uh, you know, put the dishes away? And so it was just a quick one word like really i wasn't giving you feedback i mm. wasn't responding to your bid i was ignoring you mm-hmm. uh the last one is that i can turn against your bid i can reject it i can you know respond passively aggressively or angrily and be like do you really think i have time to listen to everything you say mm. don't you realize how much i do in the house and i have to cook and clean and i work full time and like who i don't care what you think i care about <laughs> what's happening now it's like throwing daggers into my heart right now but do you <laughs> exactly. see do you see how these three reactions to bids can either drive you away from your spouse or bring you close like if you had responded in that turning like if you had turned against me and responded in that way i would not 
ever want to ask you for feedback again. You'd be so scared. Yes, right? I would be. Yeah, right? I and was it so would, hurt. It would drive that wedge versus in the positive way, then if you acknowledge the bit and you turn towards me, then I'd be like, oh, you know, there'd be that intimacy. Mm-hmm. There'd be that connection that would spark. And if you had turned away and you kind of ignored or missed it, it would just be like, oh, well, am I hurt? And I mean, you've definitely felt that way a lot in our marriage where mm-hmm. I think more than turning against you, I have either flipped flopped toward turning towards you or turning away from you. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of times where I interpreted you being busy and mm-hmm. being, I mean, you have been busy throughout our marriage and uh, pursuing different goals and schooling and so on and so forth. And so I think you were preoccupied mm-hmm. and I'd ask you a question and then you would, um, that's my bid, or I would tell you how I'm feeling, that's my bid. And then you didn't purposely ignore it, but you just kind of missed it. Yeah, And yeah. then I was hurt. And so I didn't feel like I, I didn't want to take the risk to ask you again, or I didn't want to take the risk of being hurt again to be like, uh, did you hear me? What do you think? Or also, I know that you were really busy, so I didn't want to bother you. Mm-hmm. But after making bid after bid after bid and you reacting the same way, not maliciously, but just because you were busy or distracted, that's really when I felt like my anger hit the roof. And I was like, are you even paying attention to me? Do you even know I am alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we've been able to resolve that. <laughs> we're not resolving <laughs> yeah. the conflict here. <laughs> On the air. Okay, so (laughs) when we're talking about these bids, right, these three reactions to bids, um, perhaps it's not necessarily the depth of intimacy in every conversation, or maybe it's not even that you need to strive for that, that depth in every conversation. And and perhaps it's not even really a matter of always agreeing or disagreeing. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the important thing is how you pay attention to each other. Right. No matter what your spouse is talking about or doing. And and one of the ways that we can do that is uh, to increase our presence to one another is to put down our phones. And even for me, as I'm approaching the home, coming home from work, I'll stop the podcast and I'll begin praying or I'll begin breathing in or I'll begin kind of just getting ready to say, okay, how can I be incredibly present to Christina and the kids when I walk in that door rather than walking in and be like, Hey, how's it going? And, you know, just texting or responding to emails or doing all that. If I need to do that, I'll just park, do that. And then I'll walk into the door because I need to be present. Right. So perhaps really the point for this is how are you doing paying attention to your spouse? Because if you turn against the bids of your spouse long enough, as I have, in the past, uh, like Christina said, she's going to feel and your spouse is going to feel like you don't listen and, and you don't care. And, and honestly, the the effects of that is devastating. Mm-hmm. I love what John got me and he suggests um, as we give words and language to what we're feeling, um, maybe you can talk to your spouse about that and be like, OK, so this is a bid and this is how we can respond. And so if you find yourself trying to you know, throw out a bid and your spouse is missing it, you can actually say, hey, by the way, I'm throwing out a bid. And then light bulb, I'm like, well, wait, what? Sorry, what did you say? I was distracted, but I really want to pay attention to what you're saying. Can you please say it again? Yeah. 
Exactly. So if the first lesson from the marriage story is that marriage is hard, but divorce is harder, and the second is that we need to listen even more than we talk, then the third one is we need to learn how to resolve conflict. I think the marriage story, uh, once again, did a great job of showing how walking away from conflict does not solve it, (laughs) or neither does it end it. It may seem like it diffuses it for the moment because you're not at each other, you know, screaming um, down each other's throats. But if the conflict isn't resolved, it can show up in so many other ways. It shows up as resentment, um, unforgiveness, anger, a lot of sarcasm even emotional and or um, potentially sexual unavailability. You just don't want to be with them. Yeah, you end up pushing it down. And and just to help you remember this point, think about uh, the last time you were at the beach or if you've ever pushed a beach ball underneath the water and you've tried to keep it underneath the water. The larger the beach ball is, the larger this conflict is, the harder it is to keep it under the water right? If it's small, then yes, you can kind of do it with one hand. But but as that gets bigger, it's just kind of it's it, it takes a lot of effort just to keep it underneath the surface. And then imagine trying to do something else. Imagine just trying to do that with one hand or half of your body while using the other hand to do something else and and to play or to scratch your nose. I mean, then then what happens, right? It, the ball can pop to the surface. Right. And, and the longer you hold it down, the deeper you try to bury it and hold it down, it just comes back up with a lot of force. So when you think about conflict and you think about walking away from it and you think about pushing it down, this is essentially what you're doing. So you're not solving it. <laughs> you're not chucking the no, ball away. No, no you're, you're pushing it down for a little and then it, it just kind of keeps building and building and building. And that's where, that's why a lot of times it shows up in other ways because now you're tired of right. pushing it down. You're tired of ignoring it. So you're like, well, I don't have, I don't want to have sex with you or I don't want to listen to you or, or you start be just being, yeah, or you start just being trite and the, the sarcasm goes from friendly to just Malicious. that edge. Yeah. That, Yeesh. yeah. Just that evil edge to it. Right. So we wish we, had time to break down um, even more of the ways to resolve conflict, but we will put it in our show notes. We have so many episodes in our vault about it, and uh, you can go to inbetween.org slash episode 89 to look at all our previous episodes about that. But today, if you are dealing with a conflict and Mm -hmm. you're like, I don't actually really know how to resolve it, or I've used these kind of conflict resolution tools before and it hasn't been working, here are a few things that you maybe can try. So the first thing is that you can seek to understand the situation and your spouse's feelings. As we talked about before, that there was a period of our marriage and um, my life where I just really felt lost. I wasn't sure who I was as a person, separate from being a mom and a wife. Um, I really felt disrespected. I felt unheard, unseen, and unloved. Um, I tried in the ways that were actually quite unhealthy, but I tried to get Daniel's attention and it really came out as a scream and cry fest. And when that would happen, it would be a huge wake up call for me because I'd be like, oh, what did I do wrong? And I'd start thinking through all the things that I'd done. And I was like, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And and honestly, it would it would also at the same time bring up how I dealt with conflict as a kid and me being the youngest of a I have three older sisters and when I would hear them in conflict or my parents in conflict or anything like that my my, my immediate reaction would be I'm gonna go to my room and play video games I'm gonna disconnect 
and I didn't have earphones, but I'd put the volume up or I just try to do whatever I can to not engage and I would run away from it. Enneagram wise, that's why threes go to nine in unhealth. (laughs) Nines are peacemakers and that's awesome. But in unhealth, (laughs) you just try to bury it underneath the surface. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm fine because I don't want to deal with it all. So what's interesting is simultaneously, I'd be like, okay, what did I do wrong? And on the other hand, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't don't like this. I don't like the conflict. And so I'd be like, okay, Christina, I'm sorry. And you'd be like, but what are you sorry about? (laughs) Because I'm trying to get you to understand how I feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that moment, I have to make a decision. I can either push it to the side and ignore it or or maybe try to appease you in some sense or fashion, pretending that I know what it's all about and trying to fake a sincere apology, not really knowing why I'm apologizing. Or I can just avoid making assumptions and ask clarifying questions. Yeah, that's called a suicide. <laughs> So, a suicide? Right. So I love this is actually with Beth and Jeff McCord. We'll have them on later on in the podcast, but I love how they define a suicide. So a suicide is when we incorrectly believe we know another person's thoughts, feelings, and motivations. We assume we understand why they are behaving in a certain way, and then we respond without asking clarifying questions. So mm. we just jump to conclusions. So clarifying questions such as... Such as, I hear you saying, you know, and you fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. is that what you mean? Or, I love this, okay, tell me more. What's going on? How are you feeling? Um, Another clarifying question can be, I'm not really sure if I fully understand. Can you help me understand your side or the way you see things? And there's wisdom in regards to when you resolve these conflicts. For us, 2 a.m. in the morning, fully resolving it is not always the best idea. (laughs) Uh, But at one point in our marriage, we thought we had to. We thought we had to, even though the quality of conversation kept on degrading (laughs) as the hours went by. So how can you get to a place in that conflict if you can't fully deal with it at the moment or you think that your spouse's emotions are too high and when they're just kind of raging and maybe some of their thoughts might be irrational because they're just so, there's just so much emotion uh, charged. How can you bring the conversation to the point where you're like, hey, I hear you and you ask the clarifying questions and you fully understand where they're coming from. And then you say, can we talk a little bit later about this? Can I reflect on this? Can I think about it? Just so that you let the emotions cool down a bit before you resolve. Now, I'm not saying do that and then never get back to it right? (laughs) because you'll just end up be that's pushing the ball down even Mm -hmm. more but there is tact and wisdom in the sense of when is the best time to resolve these things right and i think especially in those situations we always want to premise or end the conversation with i am here for you i love you we're going to talk about this and we're going to get through it so it's not a storm off and the other person is thinking well are they going to leave me because i think if we you know, if we're feeling like our foundation is a little bit shaky, then anything more that's, you know, dramatic or filled with emotion can take a person to the nth degree and will make, you know, some spouses really worried of like, oh my goodness, are they going to walk out or are they going to have an affair or are they going to, you know, jump off a bridge or so on and so forth. So I think when the energy is high, That's okay, but also we need to make sure that the surrounding emotions know that we are safe. 
Yeah, and that's why if in the middle of our conflict, if you left the house and went somewhere, that would actually, or if I left the house and went somewhere, that would actually not be helpful at all no. in cooling things down. Because then our brains go to, what are they going? What are they doing? And it just goes into a, a, a bad place. Oh, Christina, don't you think we can just keep on talking about conflict? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a con- so much. A hundred percent of marriages have conflict. Yes. <laughs> and no one is an expert in it. You can probably even tell in our conversation where it's like, yeah, we've had a lot of conflict. We have. And we've come to a point 13 and a half years in of marriage where we're like, okay, well, we've gotten some handles. We've gotten better at it. We're not perfect at it. No. Yeah. That's why we keep practicing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So episode 19, how to handle and resolve conflict. Episode 37, episode 70. I mean, there are three episodes that we've really dug deeper. So if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into conflict resolution, then just go to inbetween.org slash episode 89 to see the show notes for links to our other episodes where we've talked about that. I know in uh, our conversations, we've brought up the Enneagram uh, here and there. And if you're still like, Ennio, what? We do have links to the episode about resolving conflict using the Enneagram. And we also will link uh, our printable that we use that breaks down the nine types and how you can approach them during conflict. Or if you are the one who has that type and you are feeling the conflict of different things that you can be aware of, of how you may react or what you may say, what you may so we're only three relationship lessons in out of six and we've come to the end of our episode next week we're gonna have an interview so in two weeks time on episode 91 that's where we're gonna continue this so you have two weeks to watch the movie (laughs) but bring a box of tissues because it is heart-wrenching and be ready for it because it it, marriage is hard but divorce Mm. is even harder (laughs) very true So, Christina, who are we interviewing next week? We are interviewing children's author Sarah Parker Rubio. She wrote an amazing story about refugees, and she's going to talk to us about how to teach our children empathy, compassion, and about refugees through the use of story. And what an amazing way to end off this episode and then to be able to start part two about how can we even teach our children empathy and compassion that they can learn in their families and as well as take out into the world. Awesome. Awesome. Well... Thanks again for listening in, and we'll see you next week.